1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 250 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Wednesday evening or Wednesday afternoon for my co-host on this podcast. The Braves lead the series over the Marlins 2-0, and West Coast correspondent Scott Coleman is here. Hello, sir.
2: Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, the early, I guess they're not as early as the Red Series, but an 11 a.m. first pitch today. But, hey, there's something nice about having an early game and then getting to enjoy the rest of the games throughout the evening when you already have a win in your back pocket. So, uh it was a it was a great baseball game today and obviously a lot of good stuff to talk about.
1: For sure, and you know, obviously the top line thought here is that the Braves are in a commanding position. It is not over, but they lead 2, two to nothing in a best of 5 series, and given that they are also the better team on paper in this series, the lead is even more commanding than you might even think that it is couple of top-line thoughts here. This is the first four-game playoff winning streak for the Braves. It's 1999, which was quite a long time ago. Uh, you were a very young man at that point in time, Scott. Uh, also, this is the, the Braves became the third team in baseball postseason history to have three shutouts in the first four playoff games. All kinds of stats we could get into, but uh, in general, I will ask you sort of what your feeling is, because you know it hasn't been... Yes, there was the offensive explosion at the end of game one, but really it's been the pitching. And, uh, you know, the bullpen we knew was going to be a strength. We knew Max Free was going to be a strength. But Ian Anderson is the headliner today. Like, he, he was ridiculous. What, what did you make of all that transpired? And uh, do you agree that he is sort of the topic number one today?
2: Absolutely. I, I think uh, I always hate to say stuff like this because it is not as if Atlanta is a small little town in the Midwest that that is a, a small <laughs> regional fan base, right? Like, they don't have literally millions of fans across the country. But you know, if Ian Anderson was pitching in prime time with the New York Yankees, he would quickly be becoming a household name for baseball fans across the entire country. Um, and, and, of course, that doesn't mean anything, right? Like we know how great he's been. Um, but through really four games, uh, Anderson at the age of 22, a guy who hadn't even pitched in a big league game until six weeks ago, it has really been remarkable. He was so good once again today. He was able to work out a couple of jams that he was in and um really you just can't say enough. I know it's just a little things are a little different this year, right? You don't have fifty thousand fans in the in the stadium and who knows what kind of impact that makes. But for a guy who really has next to no big league experience under his belt with the exception of the last month, uh Anderson has been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, we'll obviously go through all of it step by step, but uh, he is the headliner. The bullpen was great again today as well, but Anderson going out and being nails now and back-to-back playoff starts is all you can ask for from a young man who, uh, like you said, was not even in the majors just a few weeks ago, really, if you do the math. So yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of goodness there from Ian, who was really pretty dominant at times in this game. Um other thing I want to mention before we dive into the play-by-play of sorts is that the top of the order, the Braves' three best players offensively, uh, Ron Acuna, Freddie Freeman, and Marcel Zuna, go 0-for-11 in this game, and they win anyway. Um, Acuna, in particular, was a topic of conversation before and during and even after the Braves won. I was watching some post-game coverage, and they were kind of poking fun at Acuna for going over for with four strikeouts. Yes, he was pretty bad uh, today, but... You know, I don't really care about that. Uh, there seem, there's this, I guess there's sort of a faction of the fan base that was like, oh, this is why you don't open your mouth. And it's like, well, no, like he's still pretty good. I, I don't think you have to worry about a, Ronald Acuna very much. But I didn't want really to go down, down that road necessarily. But I think it speaks to this team that you could have a game like that where your three big guns at the top of the lineup do quite literally nothing in this game. And you still win because of everything else that happened.
2: It absolutely speaks to the depth. Uh, Travis Darno is out of his mind right now. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, build the statue, right? If if the Braves make a deep run here, we'll we'll talk about where we should put that statue outside of Truist Park. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a day where Acuna, Freddie, and and Ozuna were not great. Acuna especially was rough. Freddie has been on the wrong end of some batted ball luck. I would hope that balances out again. We're we're talking a, just a couple of games here, of course, in the playoffs so far, but. Um, to get a game when and not only those three but then add in Ozzy Albies and Adam Duvall who are also hitless Um, those guys combined to go 0 for 17 and the Braves still win the game I would generally bet that they're not going to win most games when those guys go 0 for 17 Uh, and again it just speaks to the overall depth and what this team has been able to do and Ian Anderson and and the bullpen again was was, uh, phenomenal as well Um, you really can't say enough about that and then you hope that the lineup gets going here, right? I mean, the fact that they have not lost the game. I know it's only been Anderson and Freed pitching, but uh, the next part of this, which we'll talk about here in a bit, is, is what happens now, right? So um, it, it was great to get a win today, especially with the, the top of the order not doing anything.
1: The Braves got four hits in this game and no walks. Four base runners and you get a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it speaks to the pitching and yeah. all that. But... Pablo
2: Lopez is really, really good. He, yeah, yeah, he, he, the Marlins... he was very good. Today. I don't necessarily trust the Marlins front office because they've made some, uh, we'll call it questionable decisions over the years. But man, him and uh, Alcantara and then Sixto, who we'll see tomorrow, are all really, really good and should be good for a long
1: time. Yeah, that's the strength of their team very clearly. And uh, we said that all the way through, but it's, it's been apparent in this series. OK, let's dive in to uh, sort of the, the nuts and bolts of what transpired in this game. It was a uh, pre-quiet in a lot of innings, so we'll zoom through a few of these, but Ian Anderson opens with back-to-back strikeouts. He did allow a single and a walk after that in the first inning, but got out of it. He actually threw 24 pitches, which came back to bite him, I think, a little bit later. Snicker talked about the fact that he was kind of, not out of gas, but certainly getting towards that with some high leverage innings, but he threw a lot of pitches, it was still just fine. Um, Nothing doing in the bottom half, as we talked about. The top of the order was pretty bad, but you you said this before, but bad bit of luck for Freeman. He had a 107-mile-an-hour exit velocity ground out in the first inning, which is another good reminder, like, he's just rocketing the ball at times, just right right at people, so not really concerned about that. The second inning, though, was finally uh, the fireworks that transpired, I guess, Uh, Anderson was good once again. By the way, he uh, had two strikeouts again in that inning, so four in the first two innings. Um, The the Braves were really quite early on, obviously, but Dansby Swanson takes the lead with a home run. That was the overlooked one. I think we all focus on Darno because he's been so good for two games, but Dansby's the one that broke the seal in this game with a 403-foot homer. Um, And by the way, he is the first player for the Braves to homer in back-to-back postseason games um, since Javi Lopez which that's a long time. If you were a Braves fan, you would know Javi Lopez, but it's been nearly 20 years. So shout-outs to Dansby. I mean, high-leverage numbers. I I I, I meant to write this down, but uh, if you look at Dansby's career now even, the high leverage versus medium leverage versus uh, low leverage, um, there's always some noise in those, but uh, this is a guy who always seems to be really good at high-leverage spots.
2: You know, Dansby the last two years has shown up in all capital letters, right? He was one of the very few guys who hit last year in the NLDS. And then this year, as you said, I mean, you do anything for the first time since Javi Lopez. That is, that's definitely some time has passed since then. Um, I think when Dansby's right, everyone knows he's going to the opposite field. And then for him to pull really what was a pretty good pitch from Pablo Lopez, it was an uh, down and in fastball. It wasn't like he just, you know, hooked a, a hanging break breaking ball down the left field line into the, uh, the Crawford boxes, he crushed that ball to the left center. That's a, it's a pretty big park out there. So Dansby looks great. Again, it it just speaks to the depth and length in this lineup. And, um, you know, as, as long as Dansby is healthy, he's generally been pretty, pretty good. And he has had some inc- inconsistency issues, of course, throughout his career. But right now, as has been the case for most of his short career, uh, he is locked in whenever the playoffs come around. And, uh, as you said, it really kind of broke the seal early on.
1: Yeah, he is, uh, Essentially, it's been only Darno and Dansby in this series, and obviously a little bit of, of Ron Cunha. but uh, yeah, that, was, that was a big swing from Dansby, and that's what we needed in retrospect, especially because I guess the Braves still would have won without it, I suppose, if you want to get technical, but uh, having that cushion early on was probably very helpful for everyone involved. The other thing I want to mention for the second inning was this very bizarre play. Uh, I was at work during this game, uh, so I was watching, but without sound. So I probably missed a few things early on in this game. Um, I didn't notice this. Uh, number one, Adam Duval almost hit a home run back-to-back with Swanson. That's, the play, that's, what, that's, that's what I had written down first. And then I kind of double-taked because it felt like there was a bit of a weird thing with the, with the pitch count. People were talking about it on Twitter. I went, I went back and watched it. Uh, And then national folks, local folks, et cetera, picked this up throughout the rest of the game. Adam Duvall walked and the umpire did not give him a walk Uh, for whatever reason. uh, It didn't end up biting them, but Ryan Spader um, of the statistical expertise on Twitter said it was the the first recorded pitch count error in playoff history. Um, It's very, it's very, it's very, very clear that he walked on four balls and was not given his base. So, I mean, did you notice this in real time? Because I will be honest, I kind of did, but I was like, kind of could tell myself that I didn't notice it because I wasn't listening. And no one, no one paid attention, I guess, yeah. to the umpire's mild defense, if there is one. Like, no one in the Braves dugout said anything, I guess. Like, it was just kind of weird because you would think the Braves would be losing their minds. Same with Duvall, and nobody seemed to do that. But man, yeah. to lose a, a guy on base in a playoff game because the umpire lost count is kind of brutal. Hmm.
2: Only our Braves, right, Brad? Only our <laughs> Braves. Obviously, it, it didn't end up coming to bite them, but that is like the utmost Atlanta Braves postseason pain thing ever, right? Uh, <laughs> it didn't matter. I was kind of surprised um, watching it live. I, I as well went back, and I was like, no, he, he threw four balls. Um, I don't know the answer to this. Does the official score not also keep – track? I mean I would think you would certainly have somebody – I would presume the official score or maybe the the crew chief on the MP, uh, for the umpire staff does no one else keep track of balls and strikes in the entire stadium I, I don't know it's again it was not you know bases loaded in the ninth inning and it changed a playoff game but I was really surprised and as you said now knowing it's never been hap- it's never happened or at least no one's ever caught it happening before in
1: a playoff game anyway
2: yeah I don't know right
1: I don't know how that can happen so i I was surprised as well. <laughs> I'm looking at uh Ryan spader's tweet now and he had he has the screen capture of the m o b at bat and even on there like it shows up it's ball foul ball ball so it's two one, a swinging strike to two two and then a foul ball stays two two then a ball for three two a ball for four two, and then the eighth pitch again with a four two count literally listed on the at bat <laughs> app it says four two. Yeah. And then uh, in-play outs from there. So, I don't know, man. It's uh, not that big of a deal because it didn't end up mattering. But uh, the Braves lose this get by one run. Um, do they protest? Like, I don't even know how that works. It's just kind of crazy because yeah. they were quite literally like, cost a base runner in this game for, through yeah. no fault of their own. Wild. And by the way, I guess that umpire um, had the same thing happen to him, according to Spader, back in 2014 in a regular season game. So not the first time for that gentleman. Hmm. So I'm not sure if he just doesn't count to four or whatever's going on there, but pretty wild.
2: That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: We'll leave that there for now. Um, okay, the third inning was a time where I got a little tiny bit worried. Not, you know, worried's probably the wrong word, but Anderson cruises, shouts to him again. Um, but then Marquecas, uh leads off the... Third inning with a double to left. It was not like a frozen rope, but it was a nice place double down the left field line. Um, a nice knock for him, to be sure. Um, and you feel like, you know, this is a, this is a spot to add some insurance. And on cue, everyone doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Um, a couple of ill-timed strikeouts from Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna. And then uh, Freddie gets robbed again. Uh, granted, it wasn't like an absolute laser, but a nice play by the second baseman for the Marlins to rob him and save a run. And again, I had that little pit in my stomach. Not that it was like this huge swing, but anytime you get a leadoff double and the guy doesn't move from second base, it feels like a big moment. And uh fortunately it didn't matter, but that was one that I had circled in case uh disaster struck.
2: Huh. Yeah. And again, it was not a uh um, perfectly clean game by any means. But yeah, yeah, with hindsight, yeah, you, you look past it a little bit, but um you're right. There there was a little bit of concern there. Maybe it's the recency in the playoffs that we're remembering. Um but you know, being so early in the game, we just didn't know, and I think that's one area where the Braves can definitely get better at. Um, yeah,
1: I, I have no takes. I just want to say that it was like I, I usually make some mental notes. We have our running podcast document that i uh add things yeah. to throughout but that was one that i had like almost in my mind and also on, like on my separate notes to just say like look bring this up if the braves lose this game kind of yeah like yeah, as, yeah. A big, as a big moment that could have gone the other way and it didn't matter but um, they wasted a leadoff double and you don't want to do that so uh well, yeah.
2: good i mean you know it was a year ago right but game four of last year's nlds i think is in every braves fan's mind yeah. right what was it four innings in a row they had a runner on second and they couldn't play them That that's something that lingers for a while, especially in a series you lost. So absolutely, you're right. I mean, they've had trouble all year for as good as this offense has been. They have weirdly not been great with runners in scoring position and getting those guys in. So um, it is an area for them to try to get better at, for sure, as the playoffs continue.
1: Yes, that's well said. Uh, Okay, from there, we'll go to the fourth inning. Um, there was a one-out double by Anderson, off Anderson, <laughs> on a rope down the left-field line, but uh, Ian wiggles off the hook there as well, as he did the entire day. And then, uh, we we both mentioned it earlier, but Travis Darno once again, a one-out one out home run, 110-mile-an-hour uh, exit velocity. Um, and again, this was after a game on Tuesday, in which Darno went 3-for-3 three three with a home run and two walks he's just been incredible frankly uh and i'm not sure what else we could add about that also dance, dance smoked a line drive right after that um there were two out there was two out and nobody on so it didn't really matter it was right at somebody but uh the ball was getting picked up a little bit better i thought in that inning but darno man like w- what do you even say the guy is um you know they they, they gave him some real money in the offseason it wasn't like he was a bargain basement yeah. find but a guy who you know wasn't this like huge splash signing we, we kind of liked it in the moment but he's obviously been so good all year long and to you know essentially at this moment in time he's been the most valuable hitter so far through four games I mean Acuna would be Mm -hmm. up there as well but given the fact that Darno was the number one offensive guy in both the last two games like he's you know he, he probably has the title of most valuable Braves position player through four playoff games
2: absolutely and we're talking about his offensive but I know uh I think he's been terrific through the first two games behind the plate as well. I think spending time with Tyler Flowers can only help you as a catcher with your pitch framing and and all that. And I know Anderson gave Darno a lot of credit too. He, he did. you know, talking obviously about the home run, but but just called a great game behind the plate and he's he's steady back there. I think he has a good rapport with all the pitchers on the staff. So uh, yeah, again, you know the Travis Darno signing two years. I think it was sixteen million or so not sexy right not one that's going to be on the front page of espn for for 24 hours but um, he has been a monster this year his batted ball profile is through the roof Um, so yeah you can't say enough about travis and seems like a guy who's really fit in well and has been huge for the team
1: and by the way we we did a decent job i think of talking about how good he was in the regular season but just as a reminder here he was worth 1.6 FanGraphs war in 44 games so basically like a a pace of, you know, four plus war guy as a, you know, not a part-time guy. He was the, the more frequent half of the catching platoon, but still a guy who was not playing every single day and was probably worth like four and a half war over the course of a regular season. So Mm. he was awesome this year. And that is continuing in this spot. Um, the fifth inning was kind of boring, so we'll go through that real quickly now. Another smooth one for Anderson in a good way. Uh, he had 77 pitches through five. Uh, Duvall did reach base in, to lead off the fifth um, on an error, which, which was fortunate. But then there were literally <laughs> three strikeouts in a row from Marcakis, Riley, and Acuna. So the Braves are up, of course, 2 nothing after five. I'm going to break now because the sixth inning got more interesting. So we'll come back in a second. Um, but once we hear from our, from our sponsors on today's podcast, we will dive back in with the rest of today's game and look ahead to the
0: future. So hold on tight. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, Scott. The sixth inning was the the one that scared everybody to death Um, and the one, honestly, the only time in the series that I think Snickers actually been second-guessed, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. So a one-out single allowed by Anderson, uh, he had, Snicker had both O'Day and Tyler Madsik warming in the bullpen at that point in time, in the sixth inning. Anderson did, did get a strikeout of Aguilar to get the second out, but then he exits after that. So we talked about him ad nauseum, 11 two-thirds innings, 17 strikeouts, by the way, in two starts. Just ridiculousness from Ian. Um But now we'll pivot to uh, analysis mode. I tweeted this in the moment, um, as did a couple of other people. I was perfectly fine with going to the bullpen in that spot. I said it before it happened. Uh did I feel the same way a few moments moments later as I was watching Darren O'Day and not look not look very good? Uh you know, you got you guys stick you guys stick to your guns. If I had known O'Day was gonna look like that, I would have not said that same thing, because he did not look like himself whatsoever. But before we get to that, what was your thought on taking Anderson out at 94 pitches in that spot with a guy on and two out?
2: So in the moment, I I probably Whenever Snicker went out to the mound, and he kind of talked to Anderson for maybe thirty seconds or so, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be an, a pull or or what, I was leaning towards leaving Ian Anderson out there for one more hitter, and then if he didn't get him, then pulling him. But I was okay with it. As you said, it was truly the first time—not uh, maybe not truly, because that thirteen-inning game uh, in in the wild card round was a little crazy. But there were a couple, it, yeah. It was really the first time that Brian Snicker made a move in the middle of an inning in a big spot where he was going to be, it it was going to reflect on him. Right. I mean, there's some obvious decisions that he's going to make and there's ones where it's truly 50, 50. I think if you asked a hundred people, I'd say it would be pretty close to 50, 50 Anderson stays in versus you bring in O'Day. Um, so with that said, uh, O'Day was not sharp, and he was able to get out of it, which is the <laughs> ultimate uh, good thing, I guess. But it was a, a decision that was going to, one way or the other, be remembered. And here we are talking about it. We're not the only ones, I'm sure. Um, but it was a, a big decision, and ultimately it worked. It was not pretty, but if the end result is no runs, then uh, I guess it worked out.
1: Yeah, and you know I don't like to be a revisionist. That's why I said it beforehand. Uh, I, I'll stick to the fact that I think it was the right decision. Again, I think that O'Day looking like that makes it look a little shakier, obviously, which he can't he can't know. I mean, the only thing that you can say is that O'Day had not thrown back-to-back days all season long, and this is the first time he did that all year. So that's worth pointing out. Um, but you know, Darren O'Day has been awesome for basically his entire life against right-handed pitching. Like, I understand why you would put him in that in the game there against back to back against back to back righties. I mean, you need one out there. Uh Anderson was awesome today. We've, we we both said that. But this is a young guy who's throwing high leverage pitches. 94 pitches wasn't like crazy. And, you know, they sort of alluded to the fact that he wasn't quite as crisp late. I don't know. I, I was totally fine with it. I tweeted that. But I'm, I'm I'm on your side. Like, it's a coin flip. I can see both sides. It was not definitive. I would have uh, not criticized him if he, if he left him in. Um, and you know, we're not, it was kind of funny. Somebody accused me today of, uh, being too kind on snicker. Did I tell you that already? It was, it was very funny uh, on <laughs> first Twitter. Time for and I was like, I was life, like, I, I was like, wow, interesting. Uh, that's, that's a new place that we've entered, but no, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty close to a coin clip. I would have left him in. You might, you might've pulled him. I think it would have been fine either way. O'Day, obviously again, not very good. He, he, um, hits the first guy, um, yeah, not great. Then walks somebody. So he has to then face Matt, old friend Matt Joyce, mm. which is a nightmare matchup for Darren O'Day. Yeah. Darren O'Day is a, is a very, very platoon-heavy guy, and because of the three-batter minimum, he has to stay in there to face a lefty, and Joyce matches right-handed pitching. He always has. Mm. But for some reason, Joyce lets him off the hook, which I really, really appreciated. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on, uh, on an old friend swing at the first pitch?
2: You know, O'Day clearly did not have command, no, right? He was, he the was umpire everywhere. Was, yeah. And the umpire was squeezing him a little bit too, which was not helpful. He had a couple balls just off the plate and I would argue they were strikes for most of the afternoon, but you know, it is what it is. But, um, the pitch, I, I went back and looked at it, you know, the, the pitch to Joyce that he rolled over to first, it wasn't a great pitch. It wasn't a bad pitch. It was a slider. It wasn't the middle of the zone, but it was down a bit. And there was some, I mean, with everything O'Day throws, there's a lot of movement. So, Um, you know, if Joyce worked the count to a two, two pitch and rolled over on it, it it sucks for Miami in that situation, but I think it's, it's okay for him to swing at the first pitch there when O'Day cannot find the strike zone and just hit a batter as well, uh, is pretty brutal. I'm obviously we'll take it old friend, Matt Joyce. He would be welcome back in Atlanta (laughs) at any time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I was surprised that was, it's funny with the new three batter minimum rule. And I know playoffs are, um, Viewed it, obviously, a much higher level of stress throughout the entire time. But that was the first time that I can recall the three batter minimum really coming back to kind of bite you. Or yeah, because there you. there is yeah. no
1: way he faces uh, Joyce there, obviously, um, yeah. if, if that is not uh, if that's not in place. And that was one of the reasons why, by the way, that I was OK going to O'Day is that there were two righties in a row. If there sure. had been a lefty coming up directly after um, the first batter, I would have actually not go, like not like going to O'Day because you could have just left Ian in there for one more right hander. But your your margin of error is such where all you need out of O'Day is to get one out of the next two. Unfortunately, he he just didn't do that uh, and then yeah. had to escape against Joyce. But yeah, I mean your point's a good one there. Like he's not pitching. Uh, you know, th- this is two years ago. He is not facing Matt, Matt Joyce there, under any, any circumstances.
2: No, no. So again, it, thank goodness it worked out, right? I mean, if if uh, that was that was the play was, of the game,
1: honestly, that that was yep. the biggest thing of the game, other than the, obviously the home runs stand out. But in terms of pivot points of the whole series maybe that might have been
2: sure because if joyce instead puts that ball in the gap all of a sudden it's a brand new ball game obviously right it's 2-2 the whole trajectory of the series kind of shifts it goes from the braves being a couple innings away from being up 2-0 to all of a sudden you're in a tie game on a 50-50 decision by the manager everything kind of changes who knows whether you believe in momentum as the end-all be-all or if it's just kind of a silly thing that that we make up in our minds um it was a huge, huge play. The Marlins, for whatever it's worth, looked pretty deflated as well after that. They, they showed the dugout and there were some unhappy faces. So <laughs> a gigantic play and honestly one that might, if the Braves go on to you know win another game here in the next couple of days and win the series, I think one that, that Miami will look back on and say that was the, that was the moment that really got away from them.
1: Yeah, you, you hate to see the Marlins upset in the dugout. That's, that's unfortunate. Hate to see it. <sighs> hate to see that. Um, okay, in the seventh inning, uh, no damage, so we'll we'll just cruise on by that. Uh, that was Tyler Matzik, by the way, who's just been, again, unbelievable. Tyler Matzik uh, pitching back-to-back days was great, and we'll come back to him as we talked about the rest of the series. Um, Will Will Smith in the eighth comes in. Uh, that made sense to me because you're starting out with a left-hander in Dickerson. Um Daisy makes an error behind him. It wasn't like an egregious error. Um, I was kind of surprised they ruled it an error in some ways, but they did rule it an error. Um, I think um, maybe it was tipped or something like that, but it was a spot where Daisy makes that play a lot, but unfortunately that sort of woke up the echoes a little bit, and then we get into the next play. But before we go to the Marcakis controversial play, uh, thoughts on Daisy not making that play? Mm. Because I thought it was kind of, I don't want to say routine, but a play that he makes more often than not
2: yeah I, I think right after seeing it i you know I tweeted you know that's a play Dansby has to make and I think will Smith looking at the replay like the tip of his glove or maybe his hand kind of changed the trajectory of the ball a little bit it's not like it it completely changed all that much but um there was a little bit of a funky spin and bounce on the ball um it's a play as you said I think that Dansby would tell you he should make and and frankly needs to make in that scenario but in the moment, right, up two runs with only six outs to go, it was kind of the, oh, boy, here we go again, um, because that just seems how playoff rallies start, right? There, there's a, a fluky bounce or something like that, and then before you know it, the game's tied. So, um, again, it, it ended up not mattering in the grand scheme of things, but it was a, a play you hope Dansby makes down the line.
1: Yes, that's all uh, all very well said. Okay, we'll get to the next play now. I, I'm going to pledge to everyone that I'm not going to rant about this because it was a positive day for the Braves. Um, But the discussion made me crazy. So uh, there's a flare to right field. This is, again, with a guy on base after the error by Dansby, no outs. A flare to right, um, a play that I assume was going to be a flyout, frankly, off the bat, Um, and a play that had a .260 expected batting average by StatCast. So that means that 74% of the time, that is not a hit. But Marcakis in right field does not get to it. He plays it on a short hop and, uh, to his credit, makes a an absolute perfect throw, a strike to second base to get a force out because the runner was holding, presumably because he thought the ball was going to be caught, as I did, <laughs> um, and was not able to get to second base. So a uh, couple things here. That could have been Christian Pache, of course. The Braves were leading 2-0. People were wondering why that wasn't the case. Uh, the reason I think it was is because Markekis was due to lead off the bottom of the eighth. So I assume Snicker was going to try to leave him in until that and then take him out, which is exactly what happened, frankly, because the as soon as he hit, and he, got, he actually got retired in the 8th, they went to Pache for the ninth. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, like, it's kind of a multifaceted thing. We all know Marquegas is not uh, the most nimble in right field. I think that's a play that I would say the majority of right fielders make in the air and just catch the ball. Uh, he, got a, he got a lot of praise on the broadcast and also from Snit after the game for... Um, being aware enough to not dive and make a mess of it um i will agree with that to some extent in that he wasn't going to get there so as soon as you know you're not going to get there play on the hop and do exactly what he did he made the play as necessary i do think though we have to at least acknowledge that that should have been caught in the air um so it's kind of this you know people like to give him credit sometimes when they just like to give him credit sometimes and that's fine um and again, he made the play. It didn't impact the Braves in a negative way at all because he made a perfect throw, so that is definitely worth crediting. I just think it's kind of interesting yeah. and multi- multifaceted because it honestly probably should have been Pache by then with a the 2-0 lead, but I also get sort of the strategy because he's about to bat, etc. So where did you come down on this? Like, was it, you know, the broadcast kind of made it sound like okay, made this incredible, heroic play and right, whereas um, the skeptics might go further the other way. I'm probably somewhere in the middle, like... Understanding what you can and can't do is an important part of baseball. So that's that's a yeah. point in his column. But where, where do you land on this? <laughs>
2: yeah. So yes, to answer the first part, that is a play that a major league right fielder needs to make without having to load up and make a perfect throw. In order to get the second, the right to get the out at second base. So
1: and Pache would have made it standing up comfortably. Yes. By the way, <laughs> I mean I
2: think I think most major league right fielders do. I mean Marcakis again, he was deep. I, I look back at the play, um, he was deeper in the outfield, so it's not like it was a pitcher up there and he just hit a little blooper out to right that he didn't catch. But um, it's a play Marcakis needs to make. It was a heads-up and fortuitous, honestly, that the bounce came right to him. He made a great throw, Dansby, at second base. The intangibles of him, he was on second base and reached out for the ball nicely, like a first baseman would. So that could have been the difference between beating the throw and and not. Um, And as you said, the Braves won, right? So it's not one of these plays that might have just ended (laughs) the season or changed the trajectory. It
1: it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things anymore.
2: But I think... (laughs) That is a play, kind of like the Dansby play that preceded it, literally 45 seconds before. That needs to be made in a eighth inning of a close playoff game. So, I, you know, we talked it before the wild card round with, um, you know, defensive replacements and whatnot. I think that's a decision that's going to vary by game, and I guess because Markakis was due up. To lead off in the eighth. I mean, Maybe that, that's, that's the only—that's the
1: only yeah. reason why he was still in the game. I'm, I'm convinced of that because, yeah. uh, to Snet's credit, he's gone to Pache, pretty much every time he could have in the series mm-hmm. defensively. He just didn't do it in any before, and I'm—I am convinced that if Markakis bats in the bottom of the seventh, if he's the one that ends the bottom of the seventh, he comes out of the game.
2: Yeah, I think so too. So. so-
1: You could could argue the merits of that. Like how much better of a hitter is he than Pache? um, All that stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to do that now. It doesn't really matter, but you know, that is why I am 99% sure why he was still in the field in that spot. And again, the impact is minimal. It's, you know, we are just a, we're a process driven podcast in a lot of ways. So we have to talk about this a little bit. Uh, I thought some of the praise was a little bit too far, but again, he did throw the strike. He did make the play. so you know, Mixed mixed results, I would say. But yeah, the combination of Dansby making a error that was probably an error, and then Marcus doing that, like it could have been a spot that bit you, is kind of like the one before that we talked about with O'Day. But stuff's breaking in the Braves' favor in this series, which is new. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's new and bizarre that Braves are the Braves are getting some uh, fortunate bounces yeah. along the way here. But uh, that's where I would land on that. It was uh it was fortunate. It was also heads up. It was a strike well executed by everybody, and they won. They won the game. So there you go.
2: Yep, there you go. They win the game. All is well, right? What what cures everything wins. and Winning. they won.
1: So, uh, yeah. yeah. Will Smith, by the way, other than those two plays, neither of which were really on him, he pitched great again. He looks great. Shots to Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, and the yeah. ninth, Mark Melanson also cruises. He gets the ball. It was Pacheco and Wright. A breezy one-two-three inning. No drama whatsoever. We love that with with Melanson and uh, the bullpen rides again. By the way, the bullpen has allowed one earned run in 17 playoff innings. Mm.
2: Wow.
1: One run, 17 innings. That is about as good as you could possibly ask for. Yeah,
2: uh, I mean, yeah. we talked about in the NLDS last year, Braves had the lead in the eighth inning of games. One, two, three, oh, and God. four.
1: Oh,
2: God. And not to bring up the old demons, I know there were some injuries and all that, but um, credit to Anthopolis, I think whenever he went out and Spent all this money on the bullpen, which is not the worst strategy, but but recent history has shown uh, with a couple of teams who have went out and spent big money on relievers that it's really come back to bite them. The Phillies have done it with no results. The Rockies, of course, spent like a hundred million dollars one off season on their bullpen and <laughs> it didn't work. Um, that has not been the case by any means for the Braves and Anthopolis. and um, the way he overhauled the bullpen at the last year's trade deadline and then and then the last offseason has really been the difference in these first four games. Freed and Anderson have been good, but without the, the excellent bullpen, I'm not sure the Braves are in the spot they're in.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Uh you know, as as good as the pitching has been uh from Fried and Anderson, you can't project seventeen innings in one run. Like even even for this Braves bullpen, like how how good they've been all year, no one could tell you that's like a normal outcome. Like it's incredible. So I hope it hope hope keeps up, but they've they needed it, and they've been able to hold on to leads and uh, executed as a result. Uh, before we look to Game Three and beyond, uh, we I want to make, make sure we mention before Game Two, uh, old friend Don Mattingly uh, made some made some uh, waves, I will say, oh. in complaining about Ronald Acuna and a slide in Game One. Um, he did get up with a spike at at, at at second base. That's worth noting, at least, but. Uh, my general reaction was, "Come on!" Uh, I-, I said this on Twitter, but the Marlins have really chatted a lot for a team that does not really earn the kind of chatter that they've put forth in this series. And I know I'm sure they I'm sure they enjoyed the fact that Ronnie went 0 for 4 today. But did you have any thoughts, uh, both prior to or post game two, uh, about the Marlins' uh, general decorum in this series so far? You, you you were not here yesterday, so I have to give you the floor.
2: Yeah, I mean, okay, so it's it's kind of like the Astros, right? So the Astros cheat their way to a World Series. Then everybody gets mad at them for cheating. And somehow now the Astros are mad at everybody else for being mad at them for cheating their way to a World Series. So it's like the Marlins and Don Mattingly, who is a certified clown, is mad at Acuna <laughs> because he responds whenever they continually try to legitimately hurt him, right? I mean, he, he nearly avoided a broken wrist the first time a couple years ago from Urania. Um, He's taken at least two of those balls that he's been hit with in the upper part of his body. I know yesterday's was more in like the butt area, which I guess is the, the place you want to be hit by a fastball. If there's a place you want to get hit in your body with a 95 mile an hour fastball, but give me a break. I mean, as you said, this is not a team that's won literally anything in the last 15 years and for them to be upset and, and, angry literally that uh that Acuna is upset that he keeps getting hit by fastballs I I just don't get it right I I don't understand it at all um it's I mean obviously we're biased right we're Braves fans we're we're fans of Acuna and we we don't want to see him get hit but I think all of baseball if you look at some of the responses I think Fox Sports MLB tweeted out the video yesterday of Acuna getting hit and even people who weren't Braves fans were like, "Why do they keep throwing at this guy? Leave him alone." Um, I think <laughs> yeah. it's starting to catch on at a national level that what Miami's doing is is pretty crappy, and uh, hopefully, this is the end of them trying to injure one of the game's best players.
1: I have nothing to add to that whatsoever, Scott. I've weighed yeah. in the last two days, and uh, yeah. I will. Uh, they've just they, they've, <laughs> they've, they've been talking too much. That's all I'll say. Um, yeah. Okay, Game Three and beyond. Uh, let's start with the bullpen real quickly. Uh, The guys who have pitched two days in a row are Melanson, Smith, Madsik, and O'Day. Um, I don't know. I have not seen or heard what Snicker has said if he's been asked about this. I'm not sure if those guys will be available for Game 3. That's worth at least noting in advance of the game, whenever it starts or whenever there's an announcement. And there may not be one, but if you don't see one of those guys, it's probably because they're not available three days in a row. Um, Also, though, on the bright side, Shane Green and AJ Minter have not pitched in the entire series. And Shane Green and AJ Minter... Are pretty good relievers, so having those guys fresh and available is uh, a nice plus, and it'd be logical to see them probably in game three. The other guy who did not pitch today but did pitch in game one was Chris Martin, who we did point out yesterday on the show with Eric and I that he might be unavailable today given how many pitches he threw in game one. So, I, I assume he was unavailable, honestly, with the way they handled the bullpen today. So, I think you'll probably see him in, uh, you'll probably see Martin maybe as the closer tomorrow if Lansing can't go three days in a row. We're, we're kind of guessing, but um. It will be interesting to see who's, who is available. I would be stunned beyond belief if O'Day or Matzik pitch tomorrow.
2: Yeah, Cause I they, agree.
1: they have not pitched twice in a row all year. I can't imagine they're going to have them pitch three days in a row. Uh, guys like Melanson and Smith have more experience doing that, so maybe you would ask them to do that. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. I have a feeling we're going to see huh. Green mentor Martin uh, in some form. For in, sure. In game three, um, also they have Dayton and Webb available if you want to get a little bit uh, a little bit later in the game. If they go to extras something like that, you might see those guys. Or if there's a short start, and then uh, of course Josh Tomlin and uh, either you Ynoa or Wilson if they don't want to save both those guys for game four. So that'll be interesting to see. I don't I don't have a takeaway or a prediction. No. But I, I think we'll, I think we'll definitely see Green and Mentor if nothing else um, yeah. in game three. Um, starting pitcher wise, it's Kyle Wright against Sixto Sanchez. Uh, right through a sim game on Friday to stay fresh and stay in the groove. He's not pitched in a game in almost two weeks. Uh, he was quite good at the end of the year. That's uh, on the positive side. Sanchez is a pretty uh, pretty significant prospect. The former top twenty in the entire league prospect um, on paper. This is not an edge for the Braves. Right, certainly capable of pitching quite well. We've seen that now. But uh, do you have thoughts on that right versus Sanchez matchup? Because on paper, it mm. probably leans a little bit to Miami. But uh, also. There is some variance in a good way with Ryan, I think.
2: So I think we talked about before the playoffs began, you feel pretty good when Max Fried and Ian Anderson start for the Braves, right, between the offense and the bullpen and the way those guys are throwing. You feel pretty good about the Braves' chances, and I think for the most part, um, the Braves would be favored just about any time, really in in the entire National League side of the playoffs with the exception of uh, maybe a game or two in L.A., depending on who they would face. Uh, Of course, what what happens now after they're at at this 4-0 start to the playoffs is what happens next, right? Because we're guaranteed to see Kyle Wright, who has been good. He was really good the last three or four starts in the month of September. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, If you're also looking at Sixto Sanchez, who was great this year, uh, the Braves did see him in the final week of the year and hit him pretty hard. He only threw three innings, uh, gave up four hits, four walks, four runs, only struck out two. Um, it could have just been a bad night for Sixto, but uh, he before that start, he also kind of struggled against the Nationals, got hit hard for the first time, really ever in his his short big league career. So this is not to say that Kyle Wright can't pitch better than, than Sixto tomorrow and the Braves aren't going to win the game. I think they absolutely could. I picked the Braves in three for that reason. I think uh, I think they certainly can. Um, but this is where it really gets interesting, right? Uh, they've They've had a great first four games, and now, they have to see what the rest of their team can do when they don't have their, their number one and number two out there. So um, all eyes will be on Kyle tomorrow making his first big league debut. He has not pitched in about two weeks competitively, and um, it's it, is, it goes without saying it is the biggest start of his young life. And uh, he'll be counted on, and hopefully he's able to, to do more of what Freed and Anderson do and, and then get the ball to the bullpen with the lead.
1: Yeah, I'll be interested to see, and hopefully, hopefully it won't matter. Hopefully he pitches so so well that none of this comes into play. But um, the Braves need to have a plan if he's not crisp, um, whether that's going to be Enoa or Tomlin or Wilson. One of those guys has got to be ready to go for multiple innings tomorrow if something uh, goes awry early on. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but at least having a plan in place there uh, is the way to go. Um, just for projections sake. uh, I know Zip's projections, these were before today's game, but they really shouldn't change much had um, the Braves at like 58% to win game three with that matchup of Wright versus Sanchez. So the Braves still favored, just less so than the first two games. That is the same for the betting markets. Uh, I saw before we started recording the Braves were about -135 favorites in game 3, which is down from like -180 190 200 something like that the first two games. So, um generally speaking, people are uh, assuming this, this is a little bit closer of a matchup in game 3, which I tend to agree with. The Braves are still the better team. The Braves are still the Braves are still favored in game 3 individually, but if there was a game on paper that the Braves are not favored as much in it is game 3, so keep that in mind. Um you pick, I know you already picked Braves in three. Uh, we should round this up now with the final projections. Obviously, up 2 0, the Braves are in a great spot. Uh, teams with a 2 0 lead in the NLDS are um, winning at an 88% clip in the history of Major League Baseball. So that's uh, pretty, pretty strong. 538 says 94% for the Braves. And the betting markets, the Braves are currently minus 2,200 to advance on Bet Online. Um, that's a massive number. So, all that to say, we know we know this to be true. We're very logical people. The Braves are huge favorites at this point in time. It is not over. Um, I said this yesterday on the po- on the podcast I'll say it again now before I let you uh interject, but uh I can tell you from experience having watched a lot of Braves baseball, even a good Braves team is capable of being swept in a three game series by an inferior opponent. It's happened many times we We've seen this happen. Am I lying?
2: No so, so not i'll
1: just say that obviously obviously the braves are big favorites we hope they win we think they're going to win we both we both picked them to win you picked them in three i picked them in four but uh this is both reverse jinx and i'm also serious it's still baseball it's still only three games and crazier things have happened than losing three games in a row so i'm not i, I refuse to be overconfident scott i feel great about the way things have gone so far but uh we're not calling the series right now. I refuse to ring the bell or do anything like that. It's not over. Uh, We'll see what we're not going to discuss the next series until the next series arrives. Any of that stuff, Win game three, finish things, finish this thing off. And let's just get out of here.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like the Reds game two, right? Nobody wanted to go to game three. No. And the nice part of being up 2-0 is, is all the pressure falls on the other team, right? Because they have to be nearly perfect for the next 27 plus innings. If they want to win this series. So, I think the Braves are in a great spot. Obviously, the first two games could not have gone much better than they did. But this series is not over. And I would hope that the Braves, being a veteran ball club, w- realize that and they don't take the foot off the gas. Um, you hope that tomorrow uh, maybe a few things bounce their way offensively. They're due for some fortuitous luck on the uh, whenever they do put the ball in play. And as we've talked about with the bullpen being a little worn out over the last two days, and to be fair, Miami's is as well, Yeah. Um, but you hope that the Braves are able to, to get to 6-0 early, get into that Miami bullpen. While it was good today, it has generally not been great this year, and, and hopefully take advantage of that.
1: Yeah uh and we'll all feel better if we're doing a podcast on thursday wrapping up the series rather than looking ahead to game four i speak for all of us on that one i think Mm, uh but we'll leave that until then uh any final thoughts scott before we get out of here Uh, i think we've covered the gamut on this post game two podcast but if you have any final thoughts please share them if not please plug anything you got going on i know you are uh deep into the nba finals and other things on your twitter account so please share where people can find (laughs) your stuff (laughs)
2: Yeah. Um, Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, These last couple podcasts have been a lot of fun to do, especially with the team playing well. Uh, We'll continue to be here hopefully tomorrow. We, as you said, we have a uh, celebratory uh, podcast to do. It'd be the first time. I know there was some talk last week whenever the Braves won the wildcard round of, yes, it's a playoff series, but does it really count because it's the best of three, but uh, a chance to win in advance past the NLDS for the first time since 2001, I believe, which would be very nice. Um, and then continue to check out the site. Lots of good stuff there. Shout out to everybody on the uh, writing team who's been on top of it, whether it's news recaps, uh, they do a tremendous job, uh, covering things, analysis, recaps, all the above. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, 24 hours or so from now we can sit back and, and look forward to the NLCS
1: that would be very nice Uh, please follow Scott on the Twitter machine follow the site on Twitter at Talking Chop follow me if you would like to uh, if you want to avoid the NBA stuff I understand (laughs) but uh, subscribe to the podcast I I know we've uh, been asking quite a bit for that but it really does help the show so please subscribe download the episodes if you don't listen to them I really appreciate all that tell a friend about the show maybe two friends maybe your family if you you have have a Brace fan in your life that's not listening to the podcast yet share it with them hopefully they'll like it Uh, but yeah we'll see everybody again After game three, so stay tuned for that.